Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Come on, let's buckle up. And I want to start with a quote before I tell you the title of my message, because I want you to know where this word comes from, okay? This is a a quote by a pretty significant baseball player way back in the day named Vernon Law. He's a Utah local. He actually coaches down in Provo. I didn't even know that when I thought of this quote, so that's kind of cool. That's great. Uh, But it says this, Vernon Law said, experience is a hard teacher because she gives you the test first and then the lesson afterwards. Amen. Anybody, amen? Anybody learned a lesson through experience? Hallelujah. You got it. (laughs) Uh, Why I bring this quote up, I thought it was so good because what I'm going to share from, this is not something I read in a cool book and I'm trying to translate what I read in a book. Uh, This is coming straight from the school of hard knocks. This This is a lesson that God has worked out in me plenty of times. So I can tell you, I have had the experience of allowing God to move in this area of my life. And so I'm not coming with you with hypotheticals. I'm coming with you with tested, retested, falled on his face, fell on his face again, retested, fell on his face again. I'm coming to you from a place of, I feel like I have a doctorate in this consequence, in this topic, because it's something, I don't have a, nobody gives you a gift for living the gospel. You can have a gift to preach the gospel. No one gets a gift for living the gospel. So one thing God knows with me is I am very well taught in the school of hard knocks, all right? So if you're like, man, that seemed like he was really gone, trust me, this is coming from a good place. Nobody wants to, ever met a person who knows nothing about something but acts like they know it all? You ever heard that person talk? This is the opposite, okay? I, I have a doctorate level degree and God kicking my butt in this area. And thus, you should feel safe as I grab the scalpel and maybe I'm gonna poke some areas, but I want you to know I'm poking it out of goodness. Last night as I was trying to fall asleep and wrestling with this message, um, suddenly the heavens opened up and Joyce Meyer began to talk to me. It was actually my, it was actually my wife watching a reel next to me. Good old Joyce. Talk about, I stayed up another hour. I'm like, what is Joyce trying to tell me? But um, my wife was listening to a reel, and Joyce was talking about uh, if you are angry at God, this is the worst possible scenario to be in because he's the one thing that can actually fix what's broken, which is causing you to be angry at God. And listen, God's not insecure. It's okay to tell God, God, I'm disappointed with the way this currently is. God, this doesn't make sense to me. Man, this hurt. I was believing it would go this way and it went that way. God's okay with our honesty, but he doesn't want you to stay mad at him because he's the one up here. He's like, I want to help. I want to fix. And so whenever God's trying to get in an area of your life, Proverbs teaches us that love covers a matter. God's not trying to expose you. He's actually trying to heal you. 
right? He's not looking to make you a public spectacle. In fact, the Bible says that, that he actually hates that part. You know, when we think of corrupt bureaucrats and corrupt, corrupt government officials, I think about it too much. And, um, you know, God takes no pleasure in exposing his children, although sometimes that happens. It does, and it, it, truth needs to come out. But it's, understand God's heart is that he's trying to heal you, fix you, and love you. That's his primary goal. But we have to partner with him in that. All right? And so the title of my message today is The Consequence of Compromise or the Power of Promise. The Consequence of Compromise or the Power of Promise. You choose. Okay, first I want to read a quick story in Genesis. I'm just going to lay the foundation. Then we're going to read a little bit about Galatians that talks about the story. We're going to go a little quick read here, and then we're going to get to the meat and potatoes of this thing. Genesis 16, 1 through 6. A little story about a guy named Abraham, but at this point he's called Abram. And his wife Sarai, who is also known as Sarah, God had to change their names probably because of the incidents in this story. He's like, we're just going to start over. All right, so... Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abraham, the Lord has prevented me from having children, so go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abraham, you idiot, so dumb, agreed with Sarai's proposal. Pause for a minute. Gentlemen. Not every option your wife gives you is an option she wants you to take. And if you haven't learned this yet, it is time to learn it. It will save you much heartache. Okay? When she says you choose, double check because there's usually one of those options that's the one that you're supposed to choose. Okay? Abraham messed up. Messed up. Have grace for him. He's only, there haven't been a whole lot of men that to learn from at this point, okay? We're like, we're like Noah and a few other people in the Abraham, all right? But he screwed up. The right answer is, heck no, baby. It's me and you in the world. Right. Me and you against the world. God gave us a promise. If it's not with you, then I don't want it, okay? That would have been the right answer, but... <sighs> so Sarai, Abraham's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abraham as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abraham had settled in the land of Canaan. You've been married for at least 10 years, bro. Figure it out. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant, and here we go. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress Sarai with contempt. So we're talking maybe a month later. Here, here we go. So Sarai said to Abraham, this is all your fault. Come on, any man been there? He's like, huh? You said? You said? No, you're an idiot. This is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant. She treats me with contempt. The Lord will show you who's wrong, you or me. I have heard that before. <laughs> Abram replied, look, she's your servant, so deal with her as you see. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Not a great day. Not a great story. God gave them a promise. But in... And how, how, how many people can relate to this? God will give you a promise, but then we try to flesh it out in our own strength. We try to make it happen in our own way. You know, we, we, we compromise what God would have intended us to do. Little interesting history fact. If you trace back the lineage of Islam and you trace back the lineage of uh, the Jewish 
faith and nation, both lead to Abraham. The kid that Hagar had, Ishmael, is the starting point of the Islam religion. Just a little interesting history fact. Those daddy issues have carried on a long time. (laughs) It's been a few thousand years of contention, right? And it cost Abraham. When Sarai finally gets pregnant with the promise, she says, it's me and Isaac or them. So Abraham lets his 16-year-old son and Hagar go and just sends them out into the wilderness. God, from his lave from Abraham and knowing that that was his son, did end up protecting them and keeping them alive. But it's just, man, when we take things in our own, there's a consequence to our compromise. And, and one, of the, one of the misguided things we do that in our pursuit of communicating to people and this world that God loves you and he's for you and he is trying to bless you and, and he's trying to get his purposes alive and active in your life, we, we're too shy to say also there's a flip side to all the good, which is there are real consequences for not. There's real consequences for not surrendering to God, not doing things God's way. It costs people things. It's not, God doesn't even have to inflict it. He didn't have to, he, he, he didn't have to stir up that drama in that household. That just came with a bad choice on Abraham's part and a bad idea on Sarah's part. Like, he, he, he was like, whoa, gave you guys a promise and you guys took that in the wrong direction. That was not how I wanted that to go. All right, but God's good and we're gonna get to that. So now I wanna go to Galatians 4, 21 real quick because Paul comes back to this story and wants to explain that it's actually a prophetic, prophetic picture of what Jesus has done on the cross. So check this out. Tell me, so by the way, he's addressing a bunch of Galatians who are, accept Jesus, believe he died for their sins, but some knucklehead has now come and said, oh, but you also have to get circumcised. And Paul is so mad at this because they just shed off this religious bondage of having to earn God's love, but instead accepting, instead of accepting the grace that Jesus has bestowed and forgiven us and set us free, they're trying to get back in this religion. He gets so mad, he says, the guy that's telling you to get circumcised, I wish he'd just finish the deal and cut everything off. That's how intense he gets, okay? I just want you to know, he's not happy with this situation. He's like, you're coming back under the religious law. So he says this, tell me you wanna live under the law? Do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. See the contrast there. One is God doing the lift. One is us trying to do the lift for God. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where the people received the law. That's the mountain that Moses went and got the Ten Commandments. The law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because her children live in slavery to the law. He's talking about how God sent the Messiah. It was Jesus and the religious blinders were on and the Jewish, most of the Jewish people missed the promised Messiah in Jesus. Now, I want to jump to um, chapter five of Galatians, because here's the point Paul's trying to get, is God is not interested in you being a slave. 
He hates that. The Bible says in 1 John that it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now listen, there's two ends of the spectrum of slavery. There's the old covenant, the law, which is you have to be good enough, be perfect, and earn your acceptance. Romans says that none of us, we all fall short of that. But it's, 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 a, it's a prison. We live in a very religious valley that says, yeah, 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 Jesus did the thing, but you better or. And, 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 they, and that's a, a form of slavery. So Paul's going off against that. I said, no, what Jesus did was total and complete. You put your faith in him. You believe that he paid the, sin for, paid the price for your sin and you are fully and completely forgiven. He restores you. He redeems your life. It was his lift on the cross. It was not you. And now you live from love, not for love, okay? That's one end of slavery, but there's another end and Paul wants to go here too. There's the other end of the spectrum. We can become slaves to sin and compromise. Not actually calibrating our life and following the way God intended us to live. Okay, now we're not doing this for salvation. We're doing this for walking out the best life he has for us, for the, stepping into the promise that Jesus gave us. So go to Galatians 5 real quick. I just wanna go through this because this is the freedom he's talking about. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. By the way, a great litmus test of your heart is how you respond to people in the church. When somebody gets highlighted or gets a word or gets encouragement and you don't, are you happy for them? Or is your heart going, man, why are they, do they even know who that person is? Oh my gosh, you know. Or, you know, if, you're, if, if someone's up here preaching, you're like, oh, I can't believe it's this person again. Oh man, I, I, why don't they play oceans anymore? I really miss oceans. Like, it, if you find yourself griping and complaining about church leadership, about the people in church, listen, there's nobody perfect in here, but it's a great litmus test. Oh God, what is unhealthy in me? What, what's going on in my heart that I'm triggered by other people? Anyways, great advice. Uh, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. There's a way to not be subject to it. The sinful nature wants to do evil which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Write that down. Christian, if you ever think that you have graduated from that internal battle with your flesh, you are probably in the flesh already. I'm just saying, I'm hyper aware. I wish I could tell you that after a certain amount of, you know, praying in tongue in my basement and, you know, praying in quiet times that I just, I don't desire anything sinful anymore. I never look at something and say, I wish I had that even though it's not mine. I never, I never think a bad thought. I, there's deer and unicorns in my backyard every morning as I pray. <laughs> no, no, we, we, we wrestle. We wrestle with this flesh. We have a new nature, but the whole world is geared towards pulling you back to the flesh and they want you to party. Hey, come party with us. You know, misery loves company. And so we've got to always have, let that Holy Spirit do an inventory check of our life, so good. okay? Because 
It's freedom. God is trying to lead you to freedom, not more bondage. I want you to understand that. He's not looking to strike you with a lightning bolt. You sinned. He's saying, no, 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 that leads to death. That leads to a place you don't want to be. In fact, you're, it's like putting a diesel gasoline in your gasoline engine car. It smells the same, kind of looks the same. It's not going to run very well. You're going to be calling AAA. We were meant to run on God's ways, and if we don't put God's ways in, we're putting the wrong kind of fuel in the car, and we're going to have a check engine light. We're going to end up on the side of the road asking for help like we over and over and over again. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you're not under the obligation of the law. Moses, we're almost done here. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Now, here's a list. Sexual immorality. We're going to go there today. God wants your sex life. All of it. Your propensities, the things you like. He, wa- he wants, you, because he actually made sex. He's a big fan of it, and he wants it to be great for you. Okay? Anyways, <laughs> sexual morality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life doesn't inherit the kingdom of God. I want you to know that that kingdom doesn't just mean going to heaven. What he's actually talking about is living in the kingdom on earth. That's why Jesus said, pray my kingdom come, your will be done on earth as heaven. He wants you to live in a different kingdom. He wants your finances and marriage to operate in a different kingdom. You are, you are like an embassy in another country. Although you might be in this world, you're not of this world. That is God's territory in your house. And it's going to look like heaven if you allow him to operate the way he wants to operate. But the Holy Spirit, check this out, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. These are the good ones. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, now I want, if you're highlighting your Bible because you want to go to heaven, uh, (laughs) those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross. So you have to bring it to him. You have to give it to him. Jesus went there, but you have to give it to him and crucified them there. Jesus, help me preach this message in an awesome and on-time way. Amen. (laughs) Amen. All right. So we can either live in the consequences of compromise or the the power of the promise. Jesus came to set you free and keep you free and have heaven on earth. You are an ambassador of a different kingdom. So what I'm talking about when it comes to holiness This isn't about a salvational issue. This is about a God fulfilling the promises he wants to give you in your life issue. Okay, for too long, the Big C Church, I've said it, I'm gonna say it again. We've been preaching the gospel without repentance. We've been teaching, you know, uh, belief without surrender. And and, and it just doesn't work. I I wish I could just tell you, hey, let's all just, you know, Talk about sunshine and rainbows every, every week, but, but God actually has a way that he wants us to live, and when we allow that to happen, there'll be blessing. So point number one, how I see Christians slip out of the power of the promise and into the consequence of compromise is controlled compromise. This one's a little different. 
You know, I don't see too, I follow a lot of you on Instagram. I don't see very many of you at raves, you know, dropping pills and stuff. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe Anne, but that's the only one I see. Just kidding, Anne. Just kidding. She's an evangelist. Um, But, you know, we kind of know after a while at church, we know the thing, the check boxes, right? Like, okay, no more cussing on my Instagram. You know, no more this, no more that, da-da-da, da-da-da. But what can happen as we begin to walk, see, the Holy Spirit, it's like your room is a, is a home. You're, you're, you are a home, and there's rooms in there. So the Holy Spirit comes in, he's like, love this place, huge fan, huge fan. Love this, love it all. And he's walking around, he's like, I lo- oh, what you've done here, love it, love it, love it. But then he's like that guest who's like, you know how like you have the area where people can come in the house, but then there's the room that you're like, the room of shame, you lock the door, like no one. So help me, no one. You're telling your kids, do not go in that room. Do not open that door. The room where clutters kind of just got thrown, yeah, come on, am I the only one? We all know that area. See the Holy Spirit, he like, he's like, hey, let's go upstairs. What's in here? Mm-mm. <laughs> Mm-mm, Holy Spirit, mm-mm, I'm not ready to open that door. No, but I really want to go in here. Mm-mm, mm-mm. See, that can happen in our life where what we'll do is we'll shut some doors and we keep the mess confined enough that in our mind we've kind of isolated and said, well, it's not that big of a deal. That's my little area. That's my little thing. See, but Song of Solomon says this in Song of Solomon 2.15, Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Luke 16.10 says this, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. The one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. See, God knows that little tiny areas of compromise, that they're areas where they're, gonna, they're not going to stay. There are areas we've blocked his goodness and his forgiveness and his grace and his healing from going into. And as often as Christians, we'll have these little areas and we put strict rules around them. Okay, example. I, you know, I don't ever get drunk in public, but I drink a lot right before I go to bed by myself. So that way I don't publicly embarrass anyone, but I have this thing. Or I'll never cheat on my wife. Never. I would never do that. I don't go in a room with a closed door with another woman. But I kind of get scrolling pretty hard on my phone late at night. But I'm not cheating, so it's, it's okay. You know, or, I mean, it can be as simple as, you know, I, I quit this, but now I go to self-medicating with something else. It can be as simple as binging shows. If the Holy Spirit is trying to heal something in you and we have an area where we're not willing to let him heal, there's a cost. And we, we think it's okay because it's controlled. See, but here's the deal. Proverbs 21.2 says this. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. This is important to learn. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. Listen, when people say, live your truth, you do you. I've lived my truth and it's train wrecked me many times. My truth has driven me off the side of the road into embankment and ruined my car many a times. My truth, I can't trust me because I can justify almost any behavior in me. 
I can do the write-off. Oh, I'm holy enough. Look at this. I'm a youth pastor. This doesn't really matter right here because look at how much I do over here. What am I doing? I'm playing the religious game all over again with my sin. I'm not in grace. I'm in earning it. Those little boxes create you to slip right back into the religious thing. We don't want to trust our own ways. Here's how I know this. If you put a sign up in front of Matt Tuggle that says, don't touch this, don't do this, don't do that, my heart has to know what's going to happen if I do it. <laughs> I have to. Don't push that button. I wasn't going to. But because you said I'm not supposed to, my whole soul has to push this button. We went to Antelope Island. There's a lot of buffalo there. They, the whole way you're driving there. I have video proof from Pastor Scott who saw it. The whole time, don't, don't get near the buffalo. Don't get too close to the buffalo. Don't approach the buffalo. So Matt Tuggle's like, I have to get close to the buffalo. I need to know what will happen. With our children. Our children were in the car. So there was a sleeping buffalo, and I just decided I'd see why they say don't get close to the buffalo. The reason they say that is buffalo, unlike cows, don't run away. They run at you. And uh, I, yeah, I did. It was intense, okay? I didn't die. Spoiler, I made it. But there's a reason they put it. And our kids made it. Our kids are traumatized. They think buffalo, that's on me. That's on me. I own that. That's a funny example of that's our nature. But I'm telling you, I've, I've seen this, you know, when I was a youth pastor, young adult pastor, one of the most calming questions you get from like high school boys and young adult boys, this one, just full disclosure, how far is too far? <laughs> that is literally like the question on every 17 year old boy, how far is too far? Where's the line? Where have I sinned? But that is not the way the Holy Spirit has us to lead. If we're living that kind of life, how far is too far? What we're doing is we're negotiating with something we don't want to negotiate with. The better question is, where is blessed? Where am I most blessed? Where will my life be most fulfilled? Where, where, what, what am I going for? For the young man, they're like, why did God give me such a strong sex drive? I'm like, because when you tell that girl, forsaking all others, I pick you, it actually means something. When the guy says that, it means something. Because through your teenage years, you were... Everywhere. You were thinking, anything's possible. And then you hone all that and you protect it and you said, wow. it's for you. Yeah. So when things get hard, I'm going to like have all this energy that I've learned to focus on one person. Wow. And hopefully I'll be chivalrous. <laughs> get it? Okay. But we've got to think, where's the blessing? Where's the blessing? Too often I've seen this happen. I remember we, when I was a young adult pastor, we had this beautiful couple in our, on our team and um, the girl just came from such, she was such a sweetheart and I love her to death and she came from such a broken home and, you know, because of that, she, she really had this dream to be a model and, you know, one time I'm in church and I'm gonna take a picture of Pastor Jurgen. I hold up my phone and I open Instagram to take a picture and I was following her because she was in our youth ministry and our young adult ministry and there is a pretty much a topless girl on my screen as I'm holding up in the front row. <laughs> and I look at my, I'm like, ah! 
I was horrified, right? And I just remember, you know, as sweet as she was, and honestly, she was like a beautiful angel. Everyone loved her. But that area of brokenness, she didn't want to lay down. She didn't want to give that to God. And years later, cheated on her husband. They're divorced. It was a horrible, horrible mess. Those little compromises that we think we have control. The areas where we don't want to give God. Come on, in the three areas I see it most common are our sex life, our financial life, and our self-medicating life. Those are very common with Christians. We keep those hidden. God has a way he wants you to operate sexually. Why? Because he is a fan of it and he wants you to be blessed. He has a way he wants to operate you to operate in your finances. He has a way and a place he wants you to go when you need peace. A place that's not going to lead you to slavery, but it's going to lead you to freedom. And often we self-sabotage the, the blessing that he has because we go to the place he didn't want us to go. So controlled compromise, which leads us to, I just want to go back to Galatians 5.13. You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to love one another, to serve one another in love. Point number two, where people sabotage, they get the consequence for, instead of the power of the promise, is belief without surrender. Belief without surrender. I love James. Whenever you need a swift kick in the butt, James is your man. He's like a coach. He's, you know, like, John's like, like, you need encouragement? I got you, brother. But James is like, suck it up. Get out on the field. And so James says this in James 2.19. You say you have faith, for you believe there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this, and they tremble. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without good deeds is useless? These are strong words from James, but they come from a place of love. Like I said, one of the things going on with church is that we want to reach the lost, but we're afraid to tell them they're lost. And because of that, sometimes even Christians that get saved, they don't realize, wait, I'm doing this like Abram and Sarai. I'm trying to make love happen in my own way. I'm trying to make peace happen in my own way. I'm operating not in the promise, but I'm operating in the flesh. Listen, your faith, your belief should have some surrender attached to it. You know how often the Holy Spirit comes to me and says, Matt, I know you believe in me. I know you love me. I want that. And I'm like, uh-uh, this is mine. I can't have it. It's mine. I do a lot for you, God. I want this. I want that. I want that. Ah, oh, God, please, I'll go, I'll do, I'll do more sermons. I promise, just don't, I don't want to. No, I want that. I see this happen with Christians all the time. God starts putting his finger on a thing that they need to surrender. And instead of surrendering, they go into like hyper spiro mode in something else. They'll be like, I'm behind the closer. I don't want to surrender this. So I'm going to serve every single day at church. Not against serving. If you're serving out of the wrong spirit, if you're serving to try to cover up and make atonement for the thing you don't want to give to God, it's breaking you. And God says, I didn't ask you to get under that weight. I want to heal you here. And you're just adding more stress to your life. Or, you know, I, I, 
God says, hey, I want, I want this area of your, uh, I want you to lay down your relationship, what you're looking at online. And you're like, no, I'm gonna go start a Bible study. I see it. Hey, I want, I want your image. I want your Instagram. No, God, I'm just gonna go like, go to every prayer meeting and try to prophesy a lot. We do this sometimes. How do I know this? Because I can do this. We try to make atonement for the thing God wants by getting hyper-spiro in the other areas. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm just saying, you know, your life will be a lot easier if you'll just let God in the door he wants to go into. Because he's not there to judge you. And he's not there to break you. He's there to heal you. He's there to heal you. He's there to take away what's driving that thing and replace it with the thing your heart really wants. That's good preaching right there. I know it's heavy, but it's good preaching. See, we all want the John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And even John 3, uh, 17. I didn't come to judge the world or condemn the world, but to heal it, free it. But we kind of resist God when it comes to John 3, 18 through 21, just a few verses later. First, he starts out, he wants to remind you, there's no judgment against you, anyone who believes in him. You're covered by my blood, Jesus says. But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And here's the, here's the kicker. The judgment is based on the fact God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light for their actions were evil. And this is the verse, verse 20. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear of their sins being exposed. When we take an area and say, God, you don't get to tell me what to do in this area. We put it in darkness. And now there's a part of us that is afraid of God's light. And we desperately wanna be in that light. We desperately wanna be in his presence. But there's always this dead anchor, this weight, this chain holding you down because there's an area where you just say, I can't give this to you, God. And so you're chasing the light, but there's an area of you pulling you down to darkness and God does not want you divided. He loves you. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for surrender. That's good. Thank you, Pastor Matt. I want to end with a story of another guy in the Bible. Perfect. A guy named Saul. Now, Saul was Israel's first king. God chose him. He was handsome. He was tall. He had a lot of victories at the beginning. He started out pretty good. But he had an area of his life that he wasn't willing to give to God. He had an area where, you know, in modern times, he would have said, God, I'm cool with you using me and all this, but I'm super insecure, so I've got to control my social media because I need a lot of likes. He needed the approval of man, is what the Bible says. It might not be social media. It might just be you, need, you, you protect your own reputation. Either way, it doesn't seem like a huge issue on the surface, but it kept blocking him from obeying God. So God warns him once, says, just, just listen to me, Saul. And then he sends him on another mission, but Saul doesn't listen. God wanted him to wipe out the Amalekites and everything they owned because he knew that in the future, this would be a continual war. And these were bad dudes. They were sacrificing children. They had temple prostitutes. They, they were gnarly. 
And God said, we need to just clean house. It's all gotta go. And Saul does everything except for take the king out and he keeps the animals. And God said, don't do that. I want everything wiped out. Little compromise. But God wakes Samuel up and says, Samuel, I can't use Saul. Go tell him that I can't use him. So here we go. Pick up in verse 20, verse 17. And Samuel told him, although you may think little of yourself. Do you notice he starts with the root issue? Saul, this is all because you're insecure and you're not letting God deal with it. Although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy the sinners, the Amalekites until they are dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush to plunder, carried out the mission? Or why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight? And then here's Saul's response. But I did obey the Lord. I, Saul insisted, I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, but I destroyed everyone else. Then my troops brought in the best of the sheep, goats, and cattle and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord. See that over spirituality? No, 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 we did it because we were gonna... Interesting how he words it too. To sacrifice the Lord, your God. I just find that interesting. But Samuel, I'm gonna go here. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offering and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Saul didn't want to surrender for fear of what others thought of him. He tried to compensate with offerings, but God wanted obedience. Why? Because he loved Saul. He picked him to be king. He wanted him to live in that promise, but he knew that would sabotage him. What the enemy will do right now is tell you you're not good enough. But can I tell you, there was another king after Saul and his name was David. And if you look at David's mess up as king compared to Saul's, let me tell you something. You would think David was the guy that God would be like, nope, I can't use that guy. Okay, Saul was insecure. David got his good friend and like one of his mighty men's wives pregnant and then had him killed so he wouldn't get caught. But the difference is, is when the prophet, amen, Mabel, when the prophet came and confronted David, you see a different response. Saul went, no, 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 protect myself. It wasn't my fault, it's my men's fault. I did, I did obey, just a little bit different. But David, when he's confronted by Nathan, he says, man, you took a little sheep from a guy who only had one sheep when you have a whole flock. It says that David hit his knees and he repented and he owned it. And he said, God, I have screwed up and I am sorry. And you know what God did there? The surrender? He said, that's a man after my own heart, despite his mistake. That's God's heart for you. He's not trying to get in the area of compromising your life to expose you, to hurt you, to break you. He's trying to get in there to heal you, restore you, and free you. He wants the area of compromise because he wants you free. So we land the plane with this. Point number three, how you'll block the promise. And it's just the point. 
blaming behavior on the past. Listen, I have found over years of pastoring and even more so after years of dealing with this knucklehead that it's so easy to look at the trauma, the abuse, the things we went through. And yes, they're real. Do not get me wrong. I do not want to minimize what you went through. However, however, at some point, we have to allow that thing to not hold us back anymore, to forgive and release. And we actually have to say, I'm gonna take responsibility for where my life is today. Doesn't mean that didn't happen, but God can't work with a victim. God can't bring victims into promised lands. That's why Israel had to march around the desert for 40 years and lose a whole generation because they had a slave mindset. Nothing you've gone through, God can't bring you out of and restore and redeem your life despite the fact. I'm not saying what happened to you was okay or good, but it does not have to define you today. And until you say, it won't define me now, God cannot move you to the promise he has for you. He wants to restore. Going back to Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. Jesus became that issue for you. He became that compromise for you. Your partnership with the Holy Spirit is not putting strict boxes around it and protecting it, not justifying it by doing other holy activity, but whatever God is saying, I want that area of your life. It's beginning to walk up to the cross and putting it up there and said, here you go, Jesus. And can I be honest? You might try to take it back the next day for a little bit you keep bringing it to the cross. You keep trusting him. You keep not calling, not calling it something it's not. It's repentance. It's changed the way you're thinking. Saying, you know what, God? It's not okay that I self-medicate. So I'm gonna bring that to the cross and I'm gonna ask you to free me from it. I'm gonna take responsibility. I'm not gonna blame my parents or my ex for why I self-medicate. I'm just gonna own that I have this problem and I wanna bring it to the cross. God, it's not okay that I'm living in sexual perversion or, or not in your way with my sex life. So I'm gonna bring this to you and I'm gonna keep bringing this to you. I change the way I think because I want to do things your way because you're good and you love me. Listen, we're going to end here and then I'm going to pray for people. John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Make no doubt about it. The devil's best place to be. You know who he loves the most? People that don't believe in him because he's got free reign. You don't think he's doing anything. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I this is Jesus talking, have come to give life and life abundantly. I'm a good shepherd and the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus didn't just say he loved you. He proved he loved you. He ain't gonna quit on you, but he needs your heart pasture in the right place. He needs believers that are willing to surrender because you know what I found with Jesus is every time he works me over and he says, I want that area, son. And I bend a knee and I put up a white flag and I say, okay, God, you get this. 
I'll give it to you. I don't know exactly how I'm going to live without this, but here, it's yours. When I think I'm surrendering, he picks me up and he says, you just won. You just won. You just stepped into more freedom. You just realize you don't have to carry that weight and shame. And now you can step into the light unencumbered and feel the love of Jesus and begin to see the promises clearly. You see, sin fogs the lenses. It makes you doubt his promise. That's why it was a hard message to preach on Wednesday because people couldn't believe that. And I'm just believing that some of you have got to be like me and wrestle with your flesh. I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. pray for two people. First, I want to pray for somebody in here. And this message hit you right where you needed to get hit. If you were honest, you feel completely distant from God. You're not even sure if you're a Christian. You're not even sure if you're a believer. You're not even sure if you're saved. You just feel so far from him because the enemy got you tripped up. Friend, I've been there. Jesus isn't here to break you today. He's here to heal you. So you feel so far from God. You're in the room and you just feel so far. Or you're in this room and your heart's pounding. You're like, what is this? I have not heard this message. You don't actually know Jesus. My friend, he wants you. He is the key. That's why the world's been changing and transforming for 2,000 years since he went to that cross. And he wants a relationship with you. You don't have to know everything. You just have to surrender. Say, all right, Jesus, I want you in my life. I'm gonna give you the steering wheel. I want you to step in. And he's good. He's not gonna overnight. He's just gonna day by day work it out with you. So if you're in one of those two camps, you feel really far from God or you don't know Jesus, I wanna pray for you. So with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, on the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to put your hand in the air. Once I've seen it, you can put it down. But this is just you acknowledging. This is your surrender saying, all right, Jesus, I want you in my life. So one, two, three. If that's you, put your hand up real quick and I'll pray. I'm gonna say a prayer for you. Thank you. Once I see your hand, you can put it down. I see you. I see you. Thank you. Anyone else? Awesome. Thank you. Okay, you guys can all look up at me. For those of you who raised your hand, or maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you... You're like, ah, I know I needed to. I'm gonna lead us all in a prayer. We're all gonna say this out loud, but if you raise your hand, I want you to say this prayer from your heart. Listen, it starts with belief. God does the lifting. He's just looking for you to put your faith in him and what he did on that cross. And then, so I'm gonna say this prayer. We're gonna say it out loud. If you raise your hand, say this prayer from your heart. It's not my magic words. It's your surrender that the Bible calls born again. God's presence is gonna come in you. He's gonna begin to transform you. And at the end of the service, our ministry team will be up here and there'll be other people getting prayer. So I want you to come up and just tell one of the ministry team, hey, I raised my hand. We have a gift we wanna give you and we just wanna pray with you individually too because this is a powerful moment. I'm so proud of you. Can we give a hand for those people that raised their hand? Jesus is gonna step in. Everyone stand to your feet. And come on, if you've prayed this prayer before, repeat it with me so those people who raise their hand don't feel alone. Dear Jesus, this morning, I surrender to your love. I believe that you died on that cross so that I could be fully forgiven of all my sins and that because of what you did, I am restored into right relationship 
with my heavenly Father. I repent of my sin. I ask you to come into my life and begin to transform me and heal me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Today I am new, washed clean, and in the family. And heaven is my home. Amen. Amen. Wow. What an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.